Welcome to another week of This Week in Royal History, where we explore the personal stories, triumphs, and tragedies of the royal figures who have shaped the course of history, delving into their fascinating lives and the legacies they left behind. The Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, to lead things off this week... Let's spice things up a bit. Today I have a juicy story about Margaret of Scotland, the OG drama queen of medieval times. Margaret was born on a chilly February day in 1261 to Alexander III of Scotland and Margaret of England. Now her uncle was none other than Edward I. You can imagine the family drama. But things got even more complicated when Margaret became betrothed to Eric II of Norway at just 20 years old. You see, tensions between Scotland and Norway were high at the time. And what better way to ease the tension than to marry off a princess? But the real kicker was the treaty that came with the marriage. If Alexander III or any of his sons died without legitimate children... Margaret and her offspring would succeed to the Scottish throne. How's that for a power move? Fast forward to the fall of 1281, and Margaret and Eric finally tied the knot. There was just one tiny little problem. Eric was only 13, and Margaret was 20. Regardless of the age difference, Margaret became pregnant. And in the spring of 1283, she gave birth to a daughter. Sadly, Margaret did not survive childbirth and passed away on the 9th of April, 1283, at the age of 23. But wait, there's more. Margaret's daughter, known as the Maid of Norway, went on to become Queen of Scotland in 1286 when she was three years old. Let's just say her reign was anything but smooth sailing. But that's a story for another day. Speaking of strong-willed women named Margaret, did you know that another Margaret made her mark on history as well? Of course she did. But are you familiar with Margaret of Flanders? She was born on the 13th of April, 1350, and was no stranger to the ups and downs of medieval politics. Born to Louis II, Count of Flanders, and Margaret of Brabant, Margaret was their only surviving child, making her quite the precious gem. In 1355, she married Philip I, Duke of Burgundy. But their story was cut short when Philip died tragically in a riding accident just six years later. But that wasn't the end of Margaret's story. The Duchy of Burgundy was claimed by John II of France, and granted to his son, Philip the Bold, in 1364. Margaret went on to marry Philip the Bold in 1369, 
and they had nine children together. Although, of course, not all of them made it to adulthood. When her father passed away in 1384, Margaret and Philip inherited the county of Flanders. And let's just say they were not ones to shy away from power. But as we know, all good things must come to an end. And both Philip and Margaret passed away in quick succession, leaving the county of Flanders to their son John the Fearless, Duke of Burgundy. The county of Flanders later landed in control of the Habsburgs. Margaret may have lived in a different time, but her story is still one of strength, resilience, and a fierce desire for power. Here's to the Margarets of the world. May we all be as unstoppable as they were. From the unstoppable Margarets to the mighty Edwards, it seems like medieval England was a breeding ground for power struggles and epic battles. And speaking of epic battles, let's talk about Edward IV, the king who fought tooth and nail to secure his place on the throne. Edward was born to Richard, 3rd Duke of York, and Cecily Neville in Normandy back in 1442. Both of his parents were direct descendants from Edward III, with claims to the English throne. Talk about some serious royal bloodlines. After his father's execution, or murder, in 1460, Edward took up his claim and continued to battle against the Lancaster armies of Henry VI of England. But with the support of his cousin Richard Neville, Earl of Warwick, or a.k.a. the Kingmaker, he finally defeated Henry's forces at the Battle of Towton in 1461 and was proclaimed Edward IV of England. But of course, no king is complete without his queen, and Edward secretly married Elizabeth Woodville in 1464. Unfortunately, this created some major tension between him and the kingmaker, who wanted Edward to make a political marriage with a foreign princess. But Edward and Elizabeth didn't let that stop them. They went on to have ten children together. But Edward's reign wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. In 1470, a Lancastrian army invaded England, led by Margaret of Anjou, Henry VI's wife, and Warwick, alongside Edward's own brother, George, Duke of Clarence. The Lancastrians were victorious, and Henry VI took back the throne until March 1471, when Edward and his brother Richard, Duke of Gloucester, returned to England. The York forces defeated the Lancastrian army at the Battle of Tewkesbury in May, and Henry VI later died in the Tower of London. After that, things calmed down for Edward, and he was able to enjoy some peace and security on the throne. But sadly, he died unexpectedly on the 9th of April, 1483, at the age of 40. His young son, Edward V, succeeded him, but was declared illegitimate by his uncle, Richard, who claimed the throne for himself as Richard III. Edward's two young surviving sons would later become known as the Princes in the Tower. But on a happier note, did you know that Edward's eldest daughter, Elizabeth of York, married Henry VII of England to bring an end to the Wars of the Roses and united the houses of York and Lancaster? 
Talk about a fairy tale ending to a tumultuous time in English history. Well, maybe not so much a fairy tale, but a tale nonetheless. From the powerful Edwards to the influential Margarets, it's clear that medieval Europe was home to some truly fascinating figures. And speaking of fascinating, let's dive into the life of Marguerite of Navarre, a woman who played a pivotal role in the French Renaissance and Reformation. Marguerite was born on April 11, 1492, to Charles, Count of Angoulême, and Louise of Savoy. As the eldest child, Marguerite was no stranger to the spotlight, especially since her father was a descendant of Charles V of France and a possible successor to the throne. She had one younger brother who would later become Francis I of France, but her mother made sure that Marguerite received a classical education that included Latin. In 1509, Marguerite was married off to Charles IV, Duke of Alençon in a political match brokered by Louis XII of France. Unfortunately, the marriage remained childless, and Charles passed away in 1525. A year later, she married Henry II of Navarre. Together, they had two children, although only their eldest daughter survived to adulthood. But Marguerite was more than just a wife and mother. She was an important participant in the French Renaissance and Reformation. In fact, it's even possible that Anne Boleyn, during her time as lady-in-waiting to Queen Claude, may have crossed paths with Marguerite and become influenced by her views on Christianity. Marguerite was a vocal advocate for reform within the Catholic Church, although she wasn't a Calvinist herself, and she did her best to protect reformers. Sadly, Marguerite passed away on the 21st of December, 1549, at the age of 57. But her legacy lived on through her grandson, who became Henry IV of France and began the Bourbon dynasty. It's truly incredible to think about the impact that Marguerite of Navarre had on both French history and the wider world. Here's to trailblazers like Marguerite, who paved the way for progress and change. From Marguerite of Navarre to Catherine de' Medici, it's clear that women played a crucial role in shaping the course of history. And speaking of history makers, let's talk about Catherine de' Medici, a woman who was born in a tragedy, but went on to become one of the most powerful women in French history. Catherine was born on the 13th of April, 1519, but sadly, both of her parents died within a month of her birth leaving her to be raised by her aunt, Clarice de' Medici, and her cousins. At the age of 14, Catherine married Henry, Duke of Orleans, who was the second son of Francis I of France. Unfortunately, Henry began an affair with Diane de Portier only a year into their marriage. Despite this, Catherine and Henry went on to have nine children, with seven surviving into adulthood. But Catherine's life wasn't all sunshine and rainbows either. She had no political influence during Henry's reign, and after his death in 1559, their eldest son became Francis II, but died less than a year later. Catherine then became regent for her younger son, Charles IX, who was only 10 years old at the time. 
She dominated Charles during his reign and was regent during the French Wars of Religion between the Huguenots and the Catholics. Catherine tried to reconcile the two sides by having her daughter Margaret marry Henry III of Navarre, a Protestant. Unfortunately, their wedding celebration in Paris became known as the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, in which hundreds of Huguenots were murdered. Catherine was implicated as being involved in the massacre, which stained her reputation. Despite this, Catherine continued to be politically involved during the reign of her other son, Henry III, still attempting to reconcile the two sides during the Civil War. Catherine died on the 5th of January, 1589, at the age of 69, and was buried at the Basilica of St. Denis, next to her husband. Henry III died only eight months later, without any heirs. But did you know that Catherine's daughter Margaret became Queen Consort of France when her husband succeeded as Henry IV of France? It's amazing to think about how the lives of these powerful women intersected and influenced the course of history. From Catherine de' Medici to Juana of Castile, it's clear that women in history faced many challenges, including being confined by their male relatives. And speaking of confinement, let's talk about Juana of Castile, a woman who was born into a powerful royal family, but ultimately spent much of her life imprisoned. Juana was born on the 6th of November, 1479, to Ferdinand II of Aragon and Isabella I of Castile. From a young age, it was clear that Juana would make a significant marriage, and she was educated in academics and royal or domestic etiquette. In 1496, she married Philip of Flanders, son of Maximilian I, Holy Roman Emperor, and Mary, Duchess of Burgundy. The marriage was arranged to strengthen the Austrian Habsburg and Spanish Trastamaras against the French, and Juana and Philip went on to have six children, all of whom grew up to be emperors and queens. But despite her royal lineage and powerful marriage, Juana's life took a turn when she was recognized as the heir to Castile after the death of her brother, elder sister, and nephew. When her mother died in 1504, she became Juana I of Castile, but her husband and father saw her as unfit to rule and signed over Castile to Philip. When Philip died in 1506, Juana quickly lost control of Castile, which was turned over to her father in 1507. She was queen in name only, and her father had her confined to a castle. Reports began circling that Juana was going mad, and by 1509, her father had her locked up. When Ferdinand died in 1516, the Kingdom of Aragon transferred to Juana and her son, Charles V, and he ruled as co-monarch with Juana in Castile, Leon, and Aragon. However, Charles also had his mother confined to confirm his rule, and she would spend the rest of her life locked away, where her mental condition continued to deteriorate. Juana died on the 12th of April, 1555, at the age of 75. It's heartbreaking to think about the confinement and mistreatment that Juana endured throughout her life, but she was ultimately laid to rest at the Royal Chapel of Granada, 
with her parents and her husband. Despite the tragedy that befell her, Juana's royal lineage and the impact of her children ensured that her legacy would live on in European history. From Juana of Castile, who spent much of her life confined and mistreated, to Joanna of Austria, who tragically died at a young age. The struggles of women in history are all too apparent. Joanna of Austria, born into a powerful royal family, faced her own set of challenges during her short life. Joanna was born on the 24th of January, 1547, in Prague, to Ferdinand I, Holy Roman Emperor, and Anna of Bohemia and Hungary. She was the youngest of 15 children, and her paternal grandparents were Philip I and Joanna of Castile. In December 1565, Joanna married Francesco de' Medici, heir to the Grand Duchy of Tuscany, and they went on to have eight children. Unfortunately, only two of their daughters would survive to adulthood, and the marriage itself was unhappy. Joanna longed for her home in Austria and struggled with the difficulties of adjusting to life in Italy. In 1578, while pregnant with her eighth child, she fell down the stairs at the palace and went into labor. The infant died upon birth, and Joanna passed away the next day. It was later revealed that she suffered from scoliosis, which would have made childbirth painful and difficult for her. Despite the challenges she faced in life, Joanna's legacy lived on through her children. Interestingly, her daughter Marie would go on to marry Henry IV of France in 1600, making Joanna an ancestress to the Bourbon kings of France. It's amazing to think about how the lives of historical figures like Joanna of Austria can have far-reaching impacts on the world, even centuries after their deaths. Well, that concludes this episode of This Week in Royal History. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Rebecca Larson. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. You can follow and support the Tudor's Dynasty podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Tudor's Dynasty.